Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker. My guest was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis when she was born. But fortunately, she was born to parents who never let her feel sorry for herself and pushed her to do everything in her power to be better. Her parents have also been masterful in turning what most would consider negative situations into positive situations for their daughter. She has watched many friends she met in her CF network pass away. You will hear that she understands her disease and understands the odds were never much in her favor. Is she afraid? Yes. But you will be amazed at what scares her. Thankfully, due to modern medicine, her future is bright. Her wisdom is far beyond that of a normal 23-year-old. It is a wisdom that has been earned the hard way. The story you're about to hear reminds me of the story of Beauty and the Beast. This is an old story about a beautiful young girl who was forced to live with a hideous beast. But incredibly, in the end, the beast proved to be her greatest gift. This beauty is my hero, and I think she is about to be yours. This is Bruce Goddard. Thank you again for listening to these podcasts. I've got a special guest today. She's a special friend of mine. Her name is Bailey Poole. Bailey has more spunk than the sum of 10 other spunkiest people I know. Uh, and that's, I am not kidding. Her journey in life has been an incredible one. I will just give you some advance notice that you're about to be inspired. This gal is something else. Bailey, thank you so much for doing this. Bailey is... Uh, Absolutely. How old are you? 23. 23, 23. years old. She's got had a lot of living in her 23 years, and you're about to hear some of that. So you, Just a little bit. So you graduated from high school in what year? Um, 2017. 2017, and, and you went to college, right? I did, yes, sir. I went to Central Georgia. When, when I started Central Georgia, I, it was kind of hard for me. Um, I was really pretty sick at the time, and um, I thought getting my associates in business would be a good decision for me. It's not really what I would have chosen for myself, if we're being honest, but at the time being, you know, it's what worked out for me, and little did I know that I would be living a whole different life right before graduation, but now that I'm here and getting everything sorted out, I'm going back to school again. Good. So let me just clear this up. At a young age, and we'll find out about that in a minute, uh, Bailey was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. That is why her life has been an interesting ride, and that is what she means when she was just explaining why, when she was in school, what she was dealing with. I've known Bailey since she was a little girl. I've really watched her from afar, and she's got incredible parents, Johnny and Alicia Poo. They are amazing. And the thing that I've noticed about Bailey above everything else is she is just tough. I don't think, Bailey, I don't think you got a negative 
thought in your in your mind. If you do, I've never heard it. <laughs> but you just take the cards you've given and you make the best of them. You you spend an awful lot of time in your life in the hospital dealing with cystic fibrosis, right? I have, yes, sir. But honestly, I wouldn't change any of it. I mean, it was it was fun being in the hospital, and I know that sounds crazy. Um, I went to Choa, Eggleston, in Atlanta, and I made such good friends with um, all the nurses, doctors, team, everybody there. You know, it was like my second home, and right. they had all kinds of activities. I had so many different friends along the way that God sent into my life and got me through those times, and um, but it helped a lot of strengthen a lot of relationships, friends, and um, whoever um, I was in a relationship with at the time. You know, a lot of people were, it's surprising how people will still love you when you feel hard. Not that I've ever felt hard to love, but, you know, everyone doesn't have to take on that role of being a caretaker. But when you're friends with someone with a serious chronic illness, you become a caretaker. Right. In a way, you know, you and those people got me through. They the, see me at my lowest. I think you're the caretaker, though. Uh, you're taking care of them. You, I mean, maybe, maybe your, your your sickness has been your gift. You, you've touched a, a lot of people. Why don't you talk about? I know you're an expert at it because I know there's people listening to this. What is cystic fibrosis? Just tell us a little bit of, of what's going on when you have cystic fibrosis. It's a lung pancreatic digestive um, disease. It's genetic and it's chronic. So I'm born with it. Um, it's not contagious. I'll always have it. Both of my parents are carriers of the gene. So two carriers produce a 25% chance of a CF baby. Well, I'm that 25% chance. Um, so basically, there's different classes. I'm class one, which is I don't like to say it's the worst case, but it's it is like, you know, a little more severe because you have two chloride channels. Both of mine were closed, were closed. We'll get to that. And so basically your body just produces a lot more mucus, very thick mucus because that chloride is not there to thin it out like a normal person without CF would do. So those were blocked up and that produces like very increased risk for lung infections, which is something I've struggled with a lot. People with CF can catch different bacterias and things in their lungs, and it makes us very sick, and it leads to a lot of problems. My pancreas does not produce enzymes, so I take artificial enzymes deprived from, like, pig pancreas, basically, to fill in the gaps of to get the nutrients from food that I need. So I take a lot of medication every day. I take four or five pills with every meal, do my breathing treatments. And I'm now on a medication called Trikafta, which is the reason I'm doing so well and that I have reached 23 years old with little to no problems, no worries of having to get a transplant anymore. Obviously, you've become an expert. You could be a doctor to treat people with cystic fibrosis. You've learned, yeah, I, you've learned more I than you, wish I could do. Yeah, you, you've learned more than you ever meant to know about cystic fibrosis. So how were you? What is your first memory of or knowing that you had cystic fibrosis? 
Okay, so I'm be, I guess I'll be a little vulnerable, but, you know, CF is a very, it's very intricate and it is what it is. Um, but I do remember being maybe four or five years old um, in the car on the way to the doctor with my family and they made it a family affair. I mean, you know, when country comes to town, we had to go up to Atlanta. So all of us would pile in the car, but I remember being in the back seat just sick you know like um throwing up we had to pull over on the side eight crazy 75 I mean crazy and then I realized at that point I was sick and we got to the appointment and they put oxygen on me and were like she's I I don't know what I had caught a bug or something maybe the flu I'm not sure but uh, they were like you know she needs to be hospitalized my first hospitalization they put oxygen on me there in the office, and I don't remember being scared. I remember being confused more than anything because I, I just didn't know it was going to happen. Yeah. So I remember going back home, going back home and getting my stuff, and my mom and daddy took me back to Eggleston, and I just I do remember being pretty traumatized from the the IVs and the procedures that they did on me. But I know that my family stayed with me for the week that I was there. And I remember it becoming a positive experience. And I didn't get hospitalized again until I was about 14. So I made it a while without it. But I wasn't scared to go back because I did remember being there when I was five years old. And remember how amazing the hospital was and how great the experience was. I remember my parents took me on a little shopping spree before. So I was like, okay, you know, this isn't so bad. And it was, it was, it's been a fine thing. You know, I learned, I've met so many people. Me and my mom have so many funny memories of being in the hospital. I mean, just the the craziest things. When you're in Atlanta, you don't know who's going to walk in that room. But me and my mom are going to be friends with them. I'm going to tell you that. For sure. They're going to be our friends. For sure. (laughs) We're going to make them laugh, and they're going to make us laugh. You know, the the fact that, and I I know you know this, that you've gotten older, the fact that it's obvious that your parents had a lot to do with making that a positive experience. I mean, there's other other people that would have, you would have seen the anguish and the fear in your parents' eyes would have made it worse, but somehow they've made it positive and, and they've made your life positive and therefore you're so positive. And that's what's incredible about you. And it's incredible it about your lot. family. It's amazing. So it is. So my dad, um, when I was growing up, I started racing mountain bikes. I don't know how we got into it. Um, my mom came home one day and with one of her bright ideas and was like, hey, we're going to ride bikes now. So we all got bikes. Um, I started racing when I was probably five years, six years old. Uh, I would say, I feel like after that first hospitalization is when we first started riding bikes. I think she probably presented that idea to, to get my lungs going because she was like, you know, we're going to make this good and she's going to be healthy. So she brought that idea home. And I just remember my dad pushing me. That's really my first memory with him CF related. I feel like other than that first hospitalization and 
him taking me to the doctor all the time. Something that stands out to me is that he pushed me so hard on that dang bike. We would ride those bikes eight miles every single day. I'm talking every day. They would. I would get home from school and go to my grandma's. My mom would pick me up. We would all get home, go ride those bikes eight miles. And I just remember being so tired and like, you know, not to the point of pure exhaustion where I couldn't breathe. Don't get me. I was yeah. fine. Uh-huh. My dad knew I was okay. And he would push me so hard and like wouldn't let me feel sorry for myself or anything. And at the time, I just thought he was terrible. And now that I get older, I am so grateful yeah, that he did that. You know, it's so, crazy. So that's what I see. I see a young lady that has never felt sorry for herself. And your parents have never felt sorry for themselves. And that's for me. They they might have for me at times, but they didn't they were like, We're not gonna do that. You yeah, know, we're gonna be we're gonna be okay. Because they know even if things aren't okay, I'm gonna be okay. There are people there, there's higher power that love me, loves me and protects me. And I'm gonna be okay either way. So we're just gonna do handle it the best we can and get through it you know it's amazing and when you look at it from my vantage point your mother had a sister just trying to get in your parents skin a little bit your mother had a uh, younger sister brandy that had cystic fibrosis and just talk about mm-hmm. what you know about brandy and that story and i'll tell you a little bit of my insight as well okay so my mom She's amazing, and she's been through more than I can imagine, and you wouldn't even know it, but she did. She had a sister. She's five years older than, than my Aunt Brandy, and I know that she took a lot of care of her. She had to grow up kind of fast and take care of my Aunt Brandy. My Aunt Brandy was born, I want to say, uh, I want to say she was, I don't know for sure what year she was born. She was um, born in, in 1978, I think. 78. Or, or, or either, what I or either to early say. 79, okay. somewhere in there. Yeah, okay. I knew my mom was 73. So she was born in 78. And, you know, I just don't think that they knew enough about CF at the time because they just started coming out with all these med- amazing medications in my lifetime. So I've been very fortunate. So she she went through a lot, I know. I know she was very malnourished. I know that she she was in the hospital a lot from a young age because they just did not have the capability to treat her. And I know my mom had to see all of that and witness all of that, but I think that they had a, excuse my language, hell of a time with it the same way that we did. You know, I mean, I think that they made the best of it. I'm pretty sure... She was in the hospital for prom, got ready. My mama and her got her ready and drove her all the way down to Taylor County to go to prom. I think she had to go back that night, but the ambulance got her there and got her back. I mean, I know that she was very sick. I'd forgotten that, but I remember that now, the ambulance bringing her to the prom. So just, just from my perspective, she was the darling of Taylor County. Everybody loved her. And as you know, I'm in the funeral business, and you know that. And so, you know, Lee, yeah. Lee Sawyer, her dad, when she passed away, and it was in 1996 that she passed away, he called me, and 
and told me she had passed away and was obviously very upset. Everybody was upset and, and wanted me to come get her. And then he stopped. He said, I want you to come get her. We, I don't want you to send somebody. I want you to come. And of course I did. And that was a, a huge funeral. And of course I, I've known your mom all her life too, but I remember being around her a lot during those days. Uh, it was, it was a huge, huge funeral. And she, yeah. everybody loved her, but your mother, it was devastating for her. And as, as for it was a lot of people, but I know it was devastating for her. So when you were born later, you had were diagnosed with CF. I can't imagine how she yeah, felt. Yeah, can, can you imagine? It just brought tears to my eyes to think about my sweet mama, you know, in, in all those moments, losing her sister, watching her sister you know go downhill and then ultimately losing her and then I was so I was born two years later in 98 and I was diagnosed right at birth I started swelling up and they were like something's going on so they tested me and I had it which I'm very fortunate that they diagnosed me immediately I believe Aunt Brandy was three or four years old when she was diagnosed so she had already lost a a good deal of time because they just didn't know. I, I think now every baby is tested for my understanding, but they wanted to do all kinds of stuff to me in Macon. And my parents were like, we've done this before. She's going to Atlanta to wow. see Daniel Kaplan. And I don't know if my mom personally called him or what happened, but I know that he was in the room waiting for me when the ambulance got me to Eggleston. Dr. Kaplan was there. I I can tell you this. I don't know whether she called him or your dad called him or whoever, but he would have, she would have gotten their attention because he loved that family. And that was obvious when he came down. I actually met him. I actually met him too. But my point was too, you said it, whatever she says now, it had, and your dad, both of them, what they say now when you were born and diagnosed for them, it was the death sentence because they had just been through that with Brandy. I, I can't imagine, but that's the, I, the, the I can't the, imagine. Yeah, the miracle story is you're 23 years old talking to me, and we're going to talk about about how long it's been since you've been in the hospital and stuff now. But I, I know it, it's something you're going to have the rest of your life. But you have been a gift, and because of you. Johnny and Alicia have been a gift to others. That's why I want this story told, because it's so inspiring. I just love the Pooh family. I think you know that. When uh, Dr. Kaplan came down, and as you know, I've, I've done a lot of funerals in my life, but I don't think I'd ever seen a doctor from Atlanta come down, and it was at the Baptist Church in Butler, and it was the reason it was there, I think, is because it was the biggest church in the county. There's no way the church would hold the people. But Dr. Kaplan spoke at the funeral. I mean, there was other people speaking. Couldn't tell you what people say at funerals. I've heard too many of them. But I remember what he said. He said it several times. She was the sweetest of the sweet. And he wasn't just saying words. It was incredible. So I obviously became a Dr. Kaplan fan. And then later, when I, I didn't realize it until later, much later, when Dr. Kaplan was your doctor, and just like you said, they called him, and I can promise you he answered the phone if Alicia or Johnny called. 
uh, because they he knew who they were. Oh yeah. And and so tell us about him. I, I know he had a profound influence on you, not only as a doctor but as a friend. Doctor Kaplan, he's absolutely precious. I mean, absolutely precious. He had a binder my health binder, huge binder with all my information in it. And every appointment, he would flip the pages of me riding and racing my bike because he thought I was, he made me feel like a superhero. I mean, he made me feel so amazing. And every appointment, you know, he would kiss me on the forehead. He probably would scold me at some point if my health was declining and I was sick he would scold me because he would be like, what are you doing? You know, what are you not doing? But it was all love all the time. And I only felt love from him. And just to sit and listen to him talk. I mean, it's amazing. And so I remember when I was about five or six years old, my dad sat me down and told me that Dr. Kaplan wasn't doing good, that he had had a stroke and he did. And he lost, he lost the most function of his left side he could walk but he could not use his left hand so I just remember getting to see him after that and the fact that he came back and he was a little bit different but but just amazing you know it inspired me to death because he everybody has goes through their struggles but he went through his struggles and fought through them and then came to take care of my struggles. I mean, it, it just was amazing to me. And he gave me his personal cell phone number. Hmm. I'm not surprised. Anytime I had a question or something was going on, I would text him because it's hard to get through with um, Emory. Oh, you know, you have to go through all the automated tellers, you know. So he was like, if you really, you know, you need to talk to me, you talk to me. And not even just about health reasons, about life things, you know, telling what's going on in my life. And if I had an appointment that he wasn't at, he wanted to know my functions. I mean, just amazing. Well, you know, when, when he died a couple of years ago, I can't remember exactly when. Before the pandemic, so 2020. Yeah, so... To show you my connection to all this, I watched that funeral online, every bit of it, just because I was so impressed with the way that he loved Brandy and the way he loved you. And I was just trying to see, does he do this for all his patients? Uh, he, there's no way as many patients he had he could give everybody a cell phone number. But I, I, I was just blown away yes. by this, this, this doctor, Kaplan. I mean, he was just very impressive. It almost spoils you because you walk into another office, you know, for whatever other reason you need to go to the doctor. And you're like, dang, where's Dr. Kaplan? Because, you know, where's my forehead kiss? (laughs) How am I supposed to feel better without it? But I couldn't help but think watching that funeral that that really impacted you because you depended on him so much. And that was another hit for you that, my goodness, the, the doctor that's been so close to me and saved my life is gone. The, the amazing thing about it is his nurse practitioner, Stephanie Penley, he trained that woman up. I mean, I don't know when they got together or when she started practicing under him, but I trusted Stephanie as much as I trusted Dr. Oh, Kaplan. Wow. She, 
she was my girl. She was my girl. And if Dr. Kaplan wasn't taking care of me, she was there taking care of me and, you know, making sure that I was okay. And she wanted to know every medication they were put me on the residents at Eggleston. She wanted to know what they had me on and how they were treating me and how I was feeling and, you know, always. And it was nice to have a woman around too. Yeah. Um, especially as I got, as I started to age and, you know, sometimes it's easier for young women to talk to other women. Sure. So that was very, very nice and amazing. And I'm thankful for her. So I know the doctor, I do know, it did make me sad, but I know that Dr. Kaplan was tired. I know that it was time for him to go on to the next thing right. and be at peace because he has done so much here that that man needed to rest. And, yeah, you know, that's how I come to peace with things. Yeah, well, you, you're exactly right. So let, let's change subject. Tell me what it is like growing up with cystic fibrosis. What do, do, do you get people from – other people treating you different or um so i i guess and no um a lot of people are scared when they find out some people are some people are confused some people feel bad for me you know and then you have some people that are i just don't ever fully expect someone to understand because there's no way to understand, you know, there really isn't. And, and I'm very, very, um, patient with people in that circumstance, but there have been occasions where I have been sick and I feel like some people didn't understand to the point of, they thought that I was maybe abusing it or such as that. And I, and I forgive those people and we move on from that because they don't understand there's no way they can um, understand. Then, There's no way. You just have to be, you know, patient with people like that and know that they don't get it and they're they're not trying to understand and that's where they are. How do you want people to treat you? You want them to, to, to treat you just like you're, you don't have anything, right? <clears throat> I do, but I also do, I also do appreciate compassion and understanding when I express that I am not feeling well, I don't want anyone's pity or sorrow, but I just need someone to say, you know, Hey, that's okay. And I'm glad that you feel comfortable telling me and I want you to rest and I'm here for you. And we're going to get through this and I support you and love you. I will make you laugh. Come over. We're going to eat and sit around and watch TV and, you know, have a good time. And that's the ideal thing for me. That's why I had so many good friends throughout the years come and spend time with me in the hospital and order takeout and just yeah. laugh with me and sit with me while I got better. But what would you possibly do without your friends? You've had a great network of friends, and I know they have been so helpful to you, uh, period, right? Oh, yeah. They have. I've had, I really have had so many friends throughout time and they've come to visit me come all the way up to Atlanta and hung out with me and made sure I was I, I was okay and I really have I've had some some wonderful friends that understood me and got me through times and just let me be myself 
you've also had friends that you've met through your CF experience that didn't make it, right? I, I mean, have. You, you, so I've had lots of friends through the hospital or social media. However, I made um, my favorite friends have been the ones that I've met inpatient. Um, and we're not allowed to touch or get within six feet of each other. So <laughs> friends from afar. <coughs> but um, we would go sit out in the garden and talk for hours. We would get in trouble, honestly, because we get out there in that garden and talk for so long that we would miss our treatments and they'd be calling us on the intercom. We didn't know they were calling us on the intercom. We were in the garden. You were outside. We were having a good time. My, my mama would call me and say, you better get your little butt up here and do your treatment. But I, And I knew, I mean, I just had to deal with the consequences. But I did. I lost. I've, I've lost a, a lot, great deal of people. I had a little friend that we called Bubba, Bubba Coleman. Um, I think he was the first friend that I lost. Um, he was 19, I believe. He passed away from cirrhosis. From It was induced from medications he had been on for CF. He was very sick. He was absolutely precious. I mean, I remember he was just a little country boy, and I remember him walking around the hospital in his little Mountain Dew pajamas and he was he was the sweetest little thing, and he I think he had a little crush on me. He would he would tell my mom, I don't know, I don't think she has CF. She's she's so pretty, <laughs> and he was just the sweetest little thing. I had another friend that was very precious to me. His name was Cole Katu. He was he was very precious, and he he passed away. We weren't expecting to lose him. That was really hard. I had another friend, um, Darcy Chaffin. She was absolutely precious, too. She was a little spitfire. And she brought me and my mom so many laughs from hearing stories about her throughout time. But I still have some friends that I that are doing well. Zach Martin, he, he's from Ellaville, Georgia. Um, so he was actually close to home, and we were hospitalized a lot together. And He's um, doing really well, too. We're both on Trikafta now. So things have changed a lot for us, and I'm grateful to know him. So I have lost I've lost some friends, and there have been others. The other friends I've lost, I knew them through social media, you know, uh -huh. such as that. But those are the, the friends. And there's another um, – there was a set of twin girls that I was in the hospital with. One of her, one of them passed away, um, and and that was a lot for me. And I, I really like her sister, Maddie. But you know, it's just crazy. We were just up there, and I would just walk by the room. One of us would have surgery, and the other three. I remember one time I had surgery, and I couldn't go to the little carnival that they had downstairs, and so they let them bring me up a snow cone. I just remember them standing at my door the cutest little things with the snow cone and I was out of it. I was after surgery, they had me all doped up and feeling light as air. And they walked in there with that snow cone. And I just thought, I didn't realize how lucky I was to experience all of that. And it shaped me into who I am today. And I appreciate friendships and people that go out of their way to show me love because, you know, 
you meet people in this world that show you love when you need it. It's crazy. Wow. wow. They're going through terrible things. They still had so much love for me to give me. It was, it was amazing. How does that impact you when some of your friends that die from the disease that you have, does that, does that make you afraid or do you just know that's part of it? How does that impact you differently than it would impact somebody that doesn't have CF? I definitely know that it's just part of it. I'm personally not afraid to die at all. I've come to peace with it. There have been a couple of um, times that I felt I was close to death in a way. Um, There was one night in particular, I had a very, very high fever and I could not move. You know, I felt like I seen a lie. I felt like Jesus was, Hmm. was there with me and I felt very at peace And I'm just, I'm really not afraid to die. I think the worst part of death for me is how it would affect the ones that love me. But I'm at peace with it. I know that that this world is just a place that I am for a little bit, this earth, and that there's another place for me to move on to that's better, far better than anything here. And I genuinely know that in my heart and I carry that with me. So, you know, if when when something does happen to me i know i'll be in a better place and i'll be okay i don't know if you realize it but to hear you express that caused chills to come up and down my back just the fact that you're a person of faith and and you're right i mean you you're absolutely right you can see that clearer than most of us but if you live to be a hundred, it's, it's a short time here the good news is you're doing great and we're not there i can promise you that we're not there, and it's scary. When the scare, let me tell you what scares me. Okay. The scariest part in all of this to me is planning to die at a young age before thirty. If we're being honest, I mean, I didn't. I was sick. I was getting sick really fast, and you know there was some different treatment options or whatever, and we were just trying to keep everything contained, but it really wasn't working. And so I did, I I expected, you know, not to be much older than 30 just because of how my body felt. And now that I'm going to live, as they tell me, and I feel like I'm going to live a while, (laughs) that's scary. That's truly terrifying to to be like, oh, no, you're not going to make it. Oh, just kidding. You are, you know, figure (laughs) life out right now because everything's changing and you're actually going to be okay. You know, that that's, that's amazing. Scary. Well, it's amazing that I never even thought about that. You were, that you really wasn't worried about what you were going to be doing at 50. You would, you were thinking 30 is it. And so now all of a sudden you got, you got different plans to make. I've never even thought yeah, about that. Now it's like 50 or 60, 70. Yeah. Crazy. What, I mean, that's a lot. 30 years is a while. Unbelievable. It all goes by in a hurry. I can tell you that. You used to go to the hospital, what, several times, what, five or six times a year? Is that, am I overstating that? At some points, yes. At some points, I've been in five or six times a year. Some, I would say three to four at minimum. Um, Every, every two or three months, I was back in. And I would stay for two weeks at a time. Right. So I was there. And when you went, your mother and your dad, I know your dad's working, but they were there, or one of them was there every time, right? Right there with you. 
They were. I mean, I'm telling you, when I got about 16, they would they would go home and let me stay by myself. And I had kind of had to beg them to leave. I was like, as much as I love y'all, I would be just fine to be in this room by myself. My mom would be like, no, no. And I'd be like, mom, you know, save your vacation, save your, your leave, whatever. And just go home and come back on the weekend or come back on Thursday night and stay with me until Sunday. But I'll be okay by myself. And finally, they did start kind of leaving me. And, you know, I, I did have some alone time up there. And I think that was healthy, too, you know, for me to to be alone and sit with everything I was going through. I think being honest with ourselves can get us through more than we realize. Right. Um, so that was that was great for me. But yeah, there, there was most of the time there were people there with me or, you know, I, I would have friends or would come and stay with me in the hospital. My friends would come and stay with me. There was a big like twin size futon in there. So I could have company and people would stay with me and cheer me up and make sure I was entertained for sure and fed. <laughs> when COVID came, I thought about you many times because I was thinking what in the world would happen if Bailey (laughs) got COVID. And I I know that had to alarm you. This was a new disease and you saw, you know, everybody in the world that had it. There were people in ICUs on ventilators and all that. So what was your reaction to that? That was a very scary moment. That was a scary moment because now I'm not afraid to die. I am a little on edge about suffering And we did not, I did not leave the house. The pandemic started in March. I didn't leave the house until June. Like the grocery store, nothing. I had people going to get me everything I needed. I never had to to leave. And, you know, it got boring, but I made the best of it. I I had a little garden and I had all kinds of stuff that, that kept me busy and I would work out at home, but I was scared. And then time went on and we realized that, you know, not that COVID was never severe, but it wasn't affecting CF patients as severely as first expected, especially CF patients on Trikafta. For some reason, Trikafta just wouldn't let it in. I mean, I guess our lungs were just filtering through so quickly that COVID was like not even taking hold, you know? Um, So when they told me that I started to venture out a little bit and I actually have had COVID twice, but it wasn't until 2021 in July, I called it the Delta strand. So that got me pretty sick, honestly, me and my mom both had it, so she was she was vaccinated with it, so it didn't affect her as bad, and so she she was able to take care of me, and we were able to be at home together, and she just made sure I was okay. It got made me get up and walk around the yard, and I got over it. And then I had COVID again this year in January with the vaccine. I still got it, so. I think the new strands are kind of different with the trichafta than the previous, but I was okay this time. I mean, it was really just like a head cold, Um, but I have lost, I have lost some lung function. I was, I was like 92 or 91% lung function 
pre-COVID and now I'm at like 78 or 80 percent. I'm not entirely sure if I will get that back. I do feel it. I'll be honest. I do feel that I've lost 10 percent. 10 percent is a pretty good amount. Um, It's hard to put into perspective. But when we are admitted into the hospital, our goal is to, to gain anywhere from like five to seven percent increase from a two-week course of treatment Mm -hmm. so ten percent is is pretty significant but i don't think it's going to affect me it's still amazing 80 percent lung function is still more than i have ever expected to be at 23 years old but i do think it's something i can get back with hard work and exercise and Talk about the medicine you're on, and what when did you get on? I, I remember that was an experimental thing. You were probably one of the few that were on it to begin with, but that's been a life-changing drug, right? Amazing. Like, not even, like, can't even grasp how crazy. So my mom brought – my mom has always signed me up for experiments and – trials and studies and what have you and she told me about this one that was supposedly for this medication so it was was called a modulator and there's three modulators released by this company vertex but in the past but I was not eligible for either of those due to my gene type so she said they're coming out with one that covers your gene type and I'm trying to get you on the study in New Orleans so this lady gave me a call from New Orleans and was like we think you're a great candidate but since it's such a serious drug that we're going to be putting you on you couldn't possibly travel back and forth to New Orleans every week to get checked out from Georgia middle Georgia Mm -hmm. so I said okay you know usually we were just kind of like, we didn't understand how amazing this medication was going to be. So we weren't that let down about it. I mean, we were like, okay, we'll figure it out. So I brought it up to my doctor, Eggleston, and she said, well, all of our slots are filled right now, but we'll put you in the lottery. And if we get more slots, then you'll be one of those that we can choose from. So they put me in the lottery and there was like 20 other people. I don't really know how all that played out, but she gave me a call one day. I was in the gym. I was not, I was sick, you know, getting ready to go back to the hospital or I think I might've been just discharged and home on IVs, but I remember struggling to breathe when I got the phone call and I thought, should I even answer? You know, it's probably an appointment reminder or, whatever it is and something told me to answer the phone and I answered the phone and it was Dr. Lindemann and she was like hey Bailey can you talk and I was like okay she's gonna tell me my lab results or whatever and she was like um your name got chosen to start the the modulator and we're we're gonna get you on the trial and I was like you're kidding hmm. you know I, I almost fell to my knees like I said you got to give me a minute I can't even talk to you right now like and she explained it to me there's a 50 50 chance I get placebo or the real drug um so I was I actually was on IVs because I had to wait about a month no antibiotics 
in order to start the trial. So that was hard for me because I couldn't go a month without antibiotics. I was sick, you know, and Mm. that month was hard for me. But I made it, and they were like, if you are so sick within the month, we're not going to be able to start you. You're just going to have to get back on antibiotics. You know, you have to be stable in order to start. So I pushed through, um, (laughs) exercised like crazy that whole month, and they started me on the drug. I'm telling you, within one or two days, I couldn't even go to class because I was going through what they call the purge, which is where all that gunk and all that bad stuff comes out of your lungs. And once that purge was over, I had nothing. I mean, my lungs were clean and clear and it was insane. And I was like, I know I don't have a placebo. I know there is no way. Mm. I felt so good. So I couldn't know any lab results from the clinic, from the study trial. So when I went back to my CF um, clinic about two months later, I did PFTs. And when they told me 91%, we dropped to the ground. I mean, they went from 50 to 90 in two months. And like, I'm telling you, when I would go to the hospital, they would probably go up like 5%. So they went from 50 to 90 in two months, over 40%. And I was a new person. I mean, in those two months, I probably gained 10 or 15 pounds. I was able to put on muscle. I used to be pretty insecure about, um, I had like real thin legs. And, you know, I was just like, I just want to gain weight. And I started gaining weight. I started feeling good. I started liking the way that I looked and feeling comfortable in my own body. And I could go out and experience things and not feel like crap, you know. Mm. And the whole time I'm out doing something, I'm thinking about how it's going to make me feel later. I could. I didn't have to do that anymore. I could just enjoy it. And, Mm. you know, it was amazing. How long have you been on that now? I started in 2018, so um, this October will be three years. That was a time that they were going to take you off of that. No, four years. Yeah, four years. I think it's 2022. Yeah. Four so years, wow. That were going to take you off or did take you off? Or I remember your mom telling me that. I had to stop for one month. My liver enzymes shot up, and so the medication is pretty aggressive on your liver, but my liver enzymes shot up, and... They continued to go up, so they they stopped me for a month. But um, we think now that it was due to stress and stuff from other life events. So that's something I have to keep watch on. I got to make sure I'm not stressed out. And you should be stressed out about nothing. As much as you've been through, anything else is a, should be a cakewalk. <laughs> that's the crazy thing, though. That it feel, that feels like nothing, and the real world stuff feels like the, the worst parts. You know. So that was just due to stress, and I started back. That was 2019 when I stopped, and I started back, and I've been uh, 2020, November 2020, when I had to stop. And I started back in December 2020, and I've been on it ever since. So it's been going great. How many times have you been to the hospital admitted since you've been on this, this new medication? Um, none. None, none at all. I have stayed overnight. I have a tonsillectomy 
So I had to stay overnight for that. But I, as far as, you know, needing to go because of my CF, I have not. Now, I'm on the fence about it right now. With the losing lung function, I might need to go ahead and just, you know, take a little breather and go into the hospital, get some good medicine, come home hooked up to my medicine through my port, and just get to feeling better, like a recharge. Right. What they call a tune. This what they call a tune up. Right. So, like, you know, you take your car to get checked out. I'm, this is pretty much me going to the shop. Well, so, you um, hadn't been in four years, and you were going four or five times a year. That's a big life change, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And I'm going back to school, um, planning on applying and starting in a, hopefully a month or so. I want to go and get certified to be an esthetician. And I would like to work under a doctor and work in a med spa, you know, try to get in doing fillers and Botox and all the aesthetics work. And I think that's something I would really love to do I've always wanted to work in the medical field um I I wanted to go to nursing school and when I got trichafta I felt confident enough to try to do that but but talking to my doctors and we decided it's probably not ideal because of the things I would be exposed to um that would affect my CF but I think I'll be just as happy and blessed making people feel good about themselves and feel good and feel pretty so I think that's going to be my going to be my career. I, I can't so. imagine I can't imagine anybody being better at taking care of people than you would be just simply because of what you've been through. As you know, I've been in the business world a long time. When you find somebody that's been through a bunch of stuff and came out with the kind of attitude that you have, that's the kind of people that others want on their team because there are others that any bump in the road and they're mad with the world and they want everybody to feel sorry for them and they feel good about being in the ditch. And you bring something different because of your experience. And it's absolutely, that is true. That's so sweet. That it's true. It's true. It's true. I mean, there's no question about <coughs> it. There are other people that are going through overwhelming circumstances that may not have anything to do with cystic fibrosis. In fact, it most likely doesn't. What is your advice to others? Uh, knowing what you've been through, what is your advice to people who are just going through difficult times and feeling overwhelmed? I think something that I've learned time and time again is going to get better. And you have to love yourself enough to support yourself and support your well-being and take care of your mentality so that you can you can handle all the things but i think that you just need to know like we have to go through the hard times because it makes the good times better and it makes you understand why you had to go through terrible things i think that supporting yourself and loving yourself is what's going to get you through that and you know just looking out for yourself take your time i like to tell people stop rushing i see everybody around me in traffic or wherever just rushing all the time and i'm like where are you going <laughs> what are you rushing toward it feels good to just take your time and look out for yourself and collect your brain to get you where you're gonna go when you get there you're just good you know you
bring life from a hearse. It could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker.